3: D-D-M. This song is good.
4: Hello, and welcome to Galdem's first ever podcast. Inspired by our book, I Will Not Be Erased, our stories about growing up as people of colour. My name's Liv, I'm Galdem's founder. And for those of you who don't know, Galdem is an award winning media company committed to platforming the voices, perspectives, and creative work of women and non binary people of colour.
3: Hello, I'm Charlie. I'm the head of editorial at Galdem and I'll be co-hosting our podcast with Liv. We're super excited to be starting our journey with you. Each week we'll invite a guest to respond to old diary entries, letters or text messages from their younger selves. The point is to nurture important discussions about growing up.
4: You can find Growing Up With Galdem on Apple Podcasts, the Acast app, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome Welcome to to our our
3: podcast, podcast, Growing Up With with Galdem. Galdem. So in this episode, we will be speaking to Elizabeth Gabrielle Lee. Elizabeth is an artist based between London and Singapore. Her work navigates the nuances and intricacies that arise out of history and memory. She attempts to undo the constructs of knowledge reduction and retention and remap a singular history, steering narratives towards alternate and fluid territories. Sing is a collaborative photo book she curated and self-published, exploring alternative narratives to the Eurocentric mindset.
4: Thank you so much for joining us No, today. thanks for
5: having me.
3: We're
4: really, really excited to have you in the studio with us. Yeah, it's yeah. a
5: really cool space.
4: It is a really cool space. Shout out to The Standard for having <laughs> us here. Nice little plug. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're really excited to just get stuck in, I think, if you're happy to start by reading your wonderful poem um, and we can then ask you some questions.
5: Yeah, absolutely. We look away past the shackles of melatonin, Molecules which grip you like how a hyena gnaws her cub, past every record in the book, that taught skin color theory in separation and coagulation, colors that bleed into the sunrise, and another, the acidic papers of logic and rupture. Can
3: you do you want
4: to <laughs> <say> <laughs> Should I? I know.
3: Yeah, I, know. <laughs> I was going to say it's it's a really beautiful sort of snippet of uh, of work. And it, it took me a few reads to kind of, I think, come to understand mm. some of the themes that you're touching on. Mm-hmm. Um, but am I right in thinking it, it, it's in part definitely about race and, you know, what it's like to be a, a woman of colour?
5: Yeah, absolutely. I think it was um, when, I've, when I was first starting to research properly into race theory... Um, I looked back into, you know, the scientific beginnings of how race was constructed and I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with the book um, that class, you know, like reds, whites, yellows and blacks. And uh, this was coined by a guy, um, well, middle class white guy as usual um, and he was an anthropologist And I was very interested in how anthropology is used as a racial science um, in order to discriminate. Um, I mean, especially back in in the days of colonialism and imperialism, um, it was used as a tool of power. And um, I'm very interested, like, with my practice in terms of undoing um, basically the structures of knowledge production and the structures of control. So... Uh, yeah, this was a kind of like a, a great starting point and now that I'm, you know, rereading it again and revisiting it, it feels nice because like I've come quite far away from racial theory and like the physical object of, of the skin and, and colour. Um, so it's just nice to revisit this poem.
4: How long ago did you write it? Where? How old were you? What was the thought process? Do you remember the moment or?
5: Um, so this was when I was still doing my BA. So this was right before um, I found it. Sing because Sing was my BA project uh, that came out like in 2017, but I was working on it for three years. So effectively 2014, I guess, this poem was, was written, Mm-mm. so it's been five years. Wow, wow, wow.
4: <laughs> how, how did you feel reading something that you had kind of conceptualised so long ago?
5: Um Is it strange? Yeah, it's a bit strange because I guess like when someone looks at their work, for example, that they created a picture that they've taken five years ago and you compare it to now, sometimes you just cringe a little bit and be like, no, it's not me anymore, I've grown... Um but this poem yeah I chose this poem because it felt like I can still resonate it um with you know my current practice but it feels like it's I've grown a little bit mm. and it's nice to see it from a different light.
3: Yeah I thought it was interesting what you said about um moving away from the, like literal skin color. Could you tell me a bit more about that what did you mean by that?
5: Um well well because when I was researching for um my practice in, in my .MA, uh, which I did last year, um, I really wanted to move away from like the physical manifestations of race and think about how power can be constructed and controlled in other ways that maybe like, might not be as apparent as um, anthropology. So, I started looking more towards literature and even poetry and how that can control and influence perception um, of a whole generation, really. Um, so, yeah. Those big theories. I know, I know.
4: I'm like, was I so profound <laughs> no, that that five I don't years ago? Know. I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think so. Very deep in, in, um, in thought. <laughs> And it's interesting to think about how that kind of has informed and shaped the work that you've then gone on to do. Did you find that um, as um, a kind of, I guess, a form of creative expression that this poetry was something that felt quite natural for you to kind of use to express how you were feeling? Or, or did you kind of jot down your thoughts, feelings and emotions in lots of different forms?
5: Yeah, it's really strange because um, even though I consider myself a visual artist, I still always return to the written word because my background's in writing um, and I pursued creative writing before I did photography. So every time when I have a brain block, like that's where I start. Or even when I don't have a brain block, if I'm just brainstorming for a new project, I always go back to writing in my notebook. And I think that really helps me articulate my my thoughts Mm -hmm. um, more so than speaking. (laughs) Did you do that from when you were a child, or? Yeah, I, I well, I wanted to be a journalist when when I was younger, um, and then obviously that changed as, as you got older. And then I went to creative writing, um, and now I'm trying to return back to writing in in different states, really. Mm-hmm. Why did you want to be a journalist? What sort of like,
3: do you have an urge to sort of like? Find out stories or. Yeah,
5: I think I was just very inquisitive in the way that, you know, news was portrayed. So I was actually more so. Um, interested in becoming a news journalist, not so much like a features writer, but really someone working in a, mag- um, a newspaper. Breaking mm. stories. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm very happy I didn't do that
4: though. Mm-mm.
3: Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> As in, it's, it's a, it can be a fun job. <laughs> um, was that because there was anything in your life at that time where you, that you felt needed to be like reported on, or is that just like a, a pure urge do you think?
5: I think that that inquisitiveness is, has hasn't really left me, which which is nice. But I think it's manifested in a different way. Like it's a little bit more tame. Uh, whereas I think when I was growing up, I just felt the need and a lot of frustration um, growing up in Singapore to address, you know, the truth because uh, censorship is crazy, and um, they're all controlled by one government body. So our newspapers are controlled. Um, by the government and i just felt this huge need to really speak out um against that but you know i guess like i've grown a little and and now i'm trying to find other ways Mm, mm, mm. um to do that Mm -hmm.
4: could you tell us a little bit um, a little bit more about singh as well and like the kind of intention behind that and the work that you're doing now for those of our like listeners who might not
5: Mm, be yeah um, so when I first moved to London, which was about five years ago, um, being an Asian woman on the street, you get, you know, whistleblown a lot and just uh, you just get thrown a lot of unseemingly terrible comments. And usually it's by by men. Um, I've received some from women, but they're just young, ignorant teenagers, but still, um i was faced with a lot of you know just firsthand very very direct discrimination and sexualization and i just thought that this can't be just happening to me so i started talking to um friends i knew friends of friends and and from that like started meeting people who went through the same thing and i just felt that you know um specifically i'm just talking about asian women and with sing with that project, I was talking about East Asian women, um, not Southeast Asian or South Asian, which is very different. Um, and I just wanted to address this frustration that we go through with our bodies on the street every day, um, from you know my perspective because my heritage is very mixed. So I come, my parents come from um, South of China, but also in Malaysia. So it's kind of mixed up um, but even then like I just felt that this experience is something that we all go through as women first and foremost like regardless of skin and then there are other layers that come into play like if you're black I'm sure your experience are you know very very different from my experience um, so I just wanted to really explore that and it just happened to take form in, in a collaborative photo book that that's I worked be- beautiful. with. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's something that I worked with uh, remotely with eight other photographers and two writers, and not all of them are East Asian. Some of them are male, um, and some of them like. Ronan McKenzie, she's based mm-hmm. in London. We love Ronan mm-hmm. as well. <laughs> yeah, so I, I thought it would be really interesting to get other people's perspective rather than just having um, East Asian women contribute. That's interesting. interesting.
3: Yeah, Was that, so that was a very intentional choice you were just like...
5: Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, I really wanted to really diversify the kind of perspectives that is coming through with Sing because um, my intention for Sing is to make it very fluid. Um I'm not really um, fond of, you know, just one-dimensional narratives and I think it's really nice to add more voices to the mix. What do you think that, what you know, for instance, someone like Ronan
3: brought to the project that... Um, so I, Ronan
5: has a lot of um, friends, like, I know she's good friends with uh, Marie, Yet, yeah. and um, through that I think she shot a couple of Marie's friends for the book um, and I think You know, just by exploring, you know, like interracial friendships in London, I think that's very interesting. And especially bonds between women of colour. I think it's very interesting, even by just having a conversation with you girls. um, It's just nice to share our our lived experience and really definitely talk about it. Mm. No, for sure. I'm really interested in that um, kind of like tenacity
4: and that kind of drive or determination to take something which is inherently negative. And you know, there are all of these microaggressions and racism and different things that you face when you go out into the world as women of color. And as we, as we, you know, kind of mentioned, that varies based on on who you are, what your background is. Um, but it's just interesting that in that moment of feeling. I mean, just going through the motions and going through that day in, day out, you then were like, actually, no, do you know what? I need to kind of create something to address that issue. Did that just come completely naturally to you?
5: Yeah, absolutely. Well, in terms of the medium, um, that came very naturally. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think uh, Sing is first and foremost um, born out of a frustration and Even though that's a negative feeling Um, and sometimes I I don't really like to use that word but sometimes I think it's completely necessary Um, because a lot of the times you know people just kind of uh, sweep things under the carpet especially when it comes to microaggressions um, with race and I think that's something that we really need to address. and, of course, there are so many ways to do it. Mm-hmm. You can you can do it in, in a soft manner or a friendly manner. Or also, you can get really angry about it. But mm-hmm. I think it's important to, maybe for the lack of the better word, to purge mm-hmm. um, what we feel and just, yeah, just have an open discussion.
3: Yeah, I agree. And I think for you, Liv, that was kind of a mm, similar definitely, reason definitely. for starting Dem. I think that's why going. a lot
4: of our kind of friends have created Um creative businesses or whatever um it it often is born from something which isn't necessarily inherently a positive one but it kind of becomes that um I think you know for a lot of people that are listening to this they will have gone through something similar or something that is kind of relatable do you have any advice or any words of wisdom that you would give to people who maybe are tired being ground down um not sure where to find a sense of community, perhaps. Do you have any advice as someone who did kind of come up with a solution to a problem that you were facing?
5: Well, I think for me with Sing, um, the community was found online. And I think there's something very, very powerful about that. In in spite of all the negatives um, of the internet, um, but there's great strength in finding your community. So when I was looking for contributors for Sing, um it all happened online. So it was very informal. Some people just message on Instagram, some people you just email and and you'd be surprised at how many people would uh respond to mm. your your little project and it's just really heartwarming. Um but you know, I think the first step is maybe to speak out about it if you're not feeling very happy about you know, a certain situation that you're, 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 you're put in. Um, and then really, like, it's all about finding your community because once you do that, I think it's, it's very empowering. Mm-hmm.
0: How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment.
5: Yeah.
3: Do you have any sort of um, thoughts on what you might do next with the project?
5: Uh, yeah. So it's been two years since I launched the book. So in two years, a lot of things have changed, mm-hmm. and uh, my interests have shifted slightly. Um, so I think for the next project, it's, we're moving slightly away from gender and sexuality and mm. um, we want to be talking about sisterhood in um, Southeast Asia because that's oh. where I'm from and it's very nice to be able to return to that. And also maybe um, it might take the form of, of a different format, so it might not be a book, it might be a, just an exhibition or I'm not sure yet. Yeah,
3: I like that you're keeping an open mind about it. It's very easy to get sort of sucked into doing one thing, the same thing repeatedly. Um, Will you have a chance to visit home as part of it? Do you reckon? Would you Would you ever hold an exhibition back home? It
5: would be very nice to hold an exhibition back home. Like I had a little launch of the book in Singapore, but it was very small, and um, I wish we had more time to make it into an exhibition because I really want to be engaging with the people in. Well, not just in Singapore, but in that region um, to see how they feel because Singh has predominantly gained traction in the West, which I find it's great. But it's always very nice to return back home because, you know, you may be casting your message here and it may be hurt. But what about the people back home? Mm-hmm. It would be nice to reconnect mm-hmm.
3: Um, And I guess it's that thing of sort of recognising that we live in a globalised society. So even if perhaps the microaggressions you're facing here were more overt, they still will influence people who are living in Singapore as well. The way in which, you know, Southeast Southeast Asian women are perceived. Oh yeah, absolutely.
4: Um, Like a big part of this um, podcast is all kind of about... um, reflection isn't it it's about looking back at moments and kind of speaking to our younger selves and also speaking to um, other people who have, who, have, who are either going through it or have been through it and can relate that way do you feel like there's any advice that you would give to a baby Elizabeth <laughs> I mean you weren't a baby when you wrote that poem but is there any are there any words of wisdom that you would have liked to have offered
5: well I think maybe It would have been nice if I was a little bit more open, I guess, as a kid, like a little bit open in a sense where I was a bit more brave um, to be different because especially growing up in Singapore, you were taught to look westwards um, because of our colonial history and um, the way that it's been very Americanized right now. So if you were remotely anything, you know, Chinese, for example, like. You had to kind of repress it, and it's ironic because I grew up in a school that was local; it wasn't an international school. So I think, you know, looking back, I'll definitely um, encourage myself to be more open and and more brave. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
4: That's beautiful. That's a wonderful piece of advice, and Thank yeah, you. that will apply to so many of
3: us. It will resonate. I think so. I think so. What do you think
4: um, your younger self would think about where you are now and all of the very cool, um, amazing, wonderful projects that you're working on?
5: Definitely would not have expected me to be here, for sure. For sure. Mm. Um, I could have easily been just, you know, been back in Singapore in a very different job, doing very different things and not having my mind expanded. So it's, it's really been... Um, I've been very, very fortunate to be able to, you know, expand my mm-hmm. horizons and and to meet people like you guys and to connect with, you know, like-minded people across the globe. Uh, yeah, just across the globe, and it's just nice to keep those connections. Mm.
4: It's um, it, it's such a, you know, we, we, you know, we're kind of doing this in part with the intention of being able to look back and say, oh, for young people that are maybe going through similar stuff, here's some. I don't know, maybe advice or like, or you're not alone. But we're living in a climate which is just absolutely—it's—it's it's a lot. It's a lot. How do you look after yourself? And how would you suggest that young people check in or, like you say, stay curious about about the planet? How do we survive in 2019? <laughs> that is, that is solve, a big question. Solve the world for <laughs> issues.
5: I know I I think it can be so overwhelming so I think you know as much as it's important to you know take care of yourself you have to take care of others and the people around you you're starting with your friends your community um, but also the planet because it's we all know it's dying Um, and we really just need to start conversations now and not even just conversations we need to act action action yeah Mm -hmm. because talk is is one thing um but yeah i think it's it's quite a bleak (laughs) subject but we have to face it and i think for a long time like even me like i was um kind of just pushing it aside because it was just too much and you know now like you just have to come face to face with it and and it's the it's the real truth and it's all happening <laughs> what do you think of
3: like the um extinction rebellion process
5: yeah so i was there uh last week and i just ran into them uh again last week uh and uh, no, again yesterday and um it's just very heartwarming because a lot of people uh skeptics are saying that you know extinction rebellion is just made uh and and protested by middle class white old folks, mm-hmm. which is not a problem at all like I think it's great that they're doing that. I think the more the merrier um but like there was even a kid section, they had a prime section and and I think that was very heartwarming and and you had people from all walks of life really um, and I think it's not until you really. You know, like, delve yourself into the heart of, of this protest and just really be with them, um, that you can really feel the strength. Um, but it's another thing to speak about, you know, all, all these problems that we have. But it's another thing, if the government bodies don't listen, then um, it's pretty hard to get anything moving. Like We definitely need support from institutions, the mm-hmm. government, um, organizations, community centers and stuff like Mm -hmm. it's very hard for us as single people to do something without financial help
3: yeah for sure and I think I think for us at Galdem so we we have probably been one of the institutions that's been a little bit more critical of Extinction Rebellion and that I think it's probably mainly centred around their attitude to, like, incarceration Mm. and prisons. I don't know if you've been keeping up with that narrative. But as in, I think that we need to protest. I think it's amazing they've mobilised so many people. But I think, yeah, there is a bit of, like, conflict around some of the ways in which they, um, what's the word for it? Some of the ways in which they uh, communicate. Mm. Um, and some of the ways in which they try and get people on board, especially, I think, for, like, black people in this country who are um, incarcerated at much higher rates and would probably face arguably worse conditions if, you know, you did end up getting jail time for, like, protesting. Yeah,
5: absolutely. I think there's always <laughs> two sides to coin, but, of course, it's it's very important to be critical about um, everything, really, mm. to question everything, um, but also to sort of, like, keep yourself open to, you know... What may happen. Yeah.
3: Um. Yeah. I do need to, I need to do something for the climate. I've decided, I don't know what it is yet, but I need to take some kind of radical action in my own personal life. Start recycling more. You know. Eat less. Yeah. <laughs> um,
4: what is the best piece of advice that you have received of late or
5: ever? Hmm. Well, this may not just... Yeah, it might not be a, an advice for for life, but it was an advice given to me by my professor um, regarding my my practice, and he said, "You don't have to show everything all the time. You just show a little bit at a time." And and I think you know, like that kind of extends to to the way that you know society has pressured you to be able to like keep up with everything. Like for me, you have to. Really be conscious about, you know, like how much work that you're producing. And there's a lot of pressure sometimes that comes with that. Um, and I think that's really nice to be able to slow down and to be more mindful about um, not just the work that you produce, but also your your actions and, and, and your words to your friends and your family and daily life. So... I think that's all really about mindfulness. Mm-mm. Um well that's what I kind of like drew from from what he said. But No, I think
4: that's that's such a good point and and we do live in a climate where everything moves so quickly and where you do feel like you're only as good as your last. I don't know. Whatever. Your and last photo Yeah, exactly, <laughs> your last <laughs> selfie or no, but but you know, um and and like we have to constantly be putting stuff out there otherwise we're not really doing anything. When in fact that's obviously not true and we yeah.
5: Oh yeah,
3: yeah, absolutely. Mm. Should we do a quick fire round?
4: Oh, oh, oh! Are we there already? I mean, we are, we are, we are, (laughs) we are. Are you ready for this, Elizabeth? Yeah, we're gonna do um, a very, very quick. Let me sorry. We're gonna do a very, very quick, um, quick fire round of questions, and people always get really nervous. You look quite chilled though. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Um, Okay, so I'm just gonna go bam, bam, bam. Yeah? Yeah, go on. Ready? Um, Okay. What's your favorite TV show at the moment?
5: I'm actually not watching much TV. (laughs) Um, um, But documentary series. Okay. Um, That counts. Yeah, I've started watching this very funny, um, offbeat uh, documentary series on YouTube, and it's about sustainable eco-houses around the world. Twenty minutes long. Have you got a name? Um, I have to link you. <laughs> oh no! This is, a, this is a quick fire. You're supposed to just give me a word. Oh no! Uh, what's your favourite song? Um, there's a song by Seaguaras called Opipola. Hmm.
4: that was very quick. Fire. I know. Thank I want to like.
3: That sounds like it'll be a nice song. I want to hear it. And who is your role model?
5: My grandma. Oh. oh. <laughs> tell Amazing. us about tell us about yeah. her. I want to hear about her. No, I think that she's a very strong woman. Mm-hmm. Um, growing up, uh, I think my my father and his uh siblings, they didn't really have um a lot of money because of, you know, just domestic issues that I, I I shan't go into right now since it's a fire run. Um, But basically, she really, like any matriarch would, and any woman would really, like she kept the house together. And that was just in her own little way. And, and I'm very sure that many families, like, you know, I'm I'm not discounting fathers, but like moms, like they're really, they do really take care of their children, like mother hens do. So mm-hmm. she's definitely my role model.
4: Well, shout out to your grandma. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank Aww. you so much for joining us here. Thank yeah. you for having me. It's been wonderful. It's been really great to get to know more about you and and all of the amazing work that you're doing and your thoughtfulness, your mindfulness. <laughs> um, so thank you so much. Thank you. And um, what? Where should we kind of tell people to find you? And like, what do you have coming up next that people should look out for?
5: Um, yeah. So definitely follow Sing on Instagram. It's uh, at xi uh, underscore. NG and you'll find us and I'm Elizabeth Gabrielle Lee on Instagram and that's probably the the best place to keep in touch with me. Amazing. Thank you. Thank cool. You. Thank you.
4: It was really interesting um to hear from someone that we didn't know as well. Yeah. Um someone whose work we admire. Um and I think I was particularly like blown away by how backed up, you know, her project and a lot of what she's doing and thinking and feeling is rooted in kind of like critical race theory. Mm-hmm. Um and I didn't know that that would be the case. So
3: no, no, it did was interesting. I, to I me. wasn't expecting that. Like I knew from reading the poem that it was going to be. Mm. She was going to be like smart. <laughs> yeah, she's going to be a smart person for sure. Um But I also wasn't expecting for her to say what she did on, especially on on. One idea is that I think personally I'm still coming to terms with around around race theory and that I'm still learning about. Um, it's nice to speak to someone who has taken into consideration all these things and, and now has produced a body of work that she wants to expand in a creative way um, and isn't just producing work for the sake of it as well, mm-hmm. I think. And
4: she was really optimistic, I think, about how we could um, have conversations... Um, and open up a space for, for different people to discuss issues and topics. Yeah. That, um,
3: and I was, yeah, that's one thing I was thinking about as well, actually, is that, like, the fact that although her work centers, her first body of work centered around specifically East Asian women, she still opened up that dialogue to other women of colour and, and men as well. Um, and I think that, although at focuses on women of colour and non binary people of colour, it is that understanding that while we do not face the same struggles necessarily um in all aspects of our lives that we can support each other Mm-mm. and that i have to
4: have a dialogue, yeah, think, have a dialogue. And, and continue to learn i think yeah. that's the only way that and, things are going to move exactly forward so and I, like
3: recognize our commonalities as mm-hmm. well as our differences yeah.
4: very encouraging yeah this has been an ii studios production our researchers for the series have been sana huck
3: and alicia ali Thank you so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode and that you'll tune into the next one. You can find Growing Up with Galdem on Apple
4: Podcasts, the Acast app, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave us a review, rate us, and subscribe. It really helps the show. And if you'd like to find out more about Galdem, you can head over to our Instagram page at Galdemzine. That's G A L D E M Z I N E. Or you can visit our website which is G-A-L hyphen, which is important, D-E-M
3: dot com. Galdam has a book which is out now. It's called I Will Not Be Erased, our stories about growing up as people of colour. You can find it in all good bookstores or
0: online.
4: Thank you so much for listening.